Welcome to the Cornerstone Vineyard Weekly Message Podcast. We are enthusiastic about all ages pursuing, experiencing, and having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open God's Word and seek His direction in our lives. Anybody get nervous when instead of a little cup of coffee, I got a giant jug of water with me? Gonna go long today. Be some Southern Baptist style preaching. <laughs> well, good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Doug Southworth. I am the assistant director of Beards and Button Down Shirts. I can't take the directorship, though. Uh, anybody here know Greg Armstrong? Yeah, he's the director. He is the director. Anyways, uh, I'm on the teaching crew here, and normally I'd like to pick some sort of video or something to introduce the message, but I thought today, instead of that, we're going to go media-free. I'm just going to do a thought experiment, right? Everybody ready? Stay with me here. So imagine for a minute that you decide to go on a trip, and you just pick a spot on the globe. You don't know anything about the culture. You don't know anything about the people, what they value, what they think is important. You literally just... That's where I'm going. Buy a plane ticket. You go. So then you get off the plane. You know, you fly for, let's just say it's 10 hours. You get off the plane. The first thing you see is this huge billboard advertising chocolate cake, an entire store dedicated to nothing but chocolate cake. You're like, I mean, I kind of want to know where this country is now. I was writing this. I'm like, maybe I want to go there. So you're thinking that's a little odd, but all right, all right. So you're walking through the airport, and you know, you've got the, they've got the little bodega stores in the airport, and you're noticing there's like all these magazines about chocolate cake, like tricked out chocolate cakes, like bottles posing by chocolate cakes. Okay. So you go, you, you uh, get a cab or, you know, Uber as the kids do these days. You get inside and there's kind of digital signage inside the, uh, the cab, and it's all about chocolate cake advertising more chocolate cake. And this time it's like, it's telling you that you need new chocolate cake. All right. The chocolate cake you had yesterday, no good anymore. You need a newer one. And then as you're riding, you hear this radio commercial and they're talking about, you can get the latest chocolate cake. Even if your old chocolate cake, you owe more than it's worth. They will refinance it for you and roll that into a new chocolate cake. And you can have the newest one today you might start to think that this culture, like, maybe there's a, they got a little problem with chocolate cake. Maybe they're a little obsessed with chocolate cake. And it seems a little outlandish, but what if we substitute in cars or televisions or the latest iPhone or any of the other things that our culture spends a lot of time and value on? It starts to make a little more sense. Because, I mean, there's user groups out there devoted to all these items I've talked about, how to trick them out, how to customize them. And, I mean, it could even be your house. I mean, people get in really into home renovation. Think about how many home renovation shows there are. There are entire networks dedicated to nothing but renovating your home. This culture really tends to dive deep into getting distracted or really burrowing into specific areas of things, kind of to the exclusion of all else. So there's nothing wrong with liking something, right? In fact, there's nothing wrong with being passionate about something. God's actually made us all different. We all have different desires, different likes, different talents, different passions, different things that we bring into 
his plan for the kingdom. He uses those things that he put in us to further his cause. But what about if those things start to take over our lives? What if they cause us to make bad moral decisions? What if they make us, you know, they tend to make us make bad financial decisions because we overextend ourselves? Maybe we compromise our integrity. We hurt others. We hurt ourselves. What happens when that thing becomes the top priority in our life instead of God? So if you haven't guessed by now, we're going to talk about idolatry today. This isn't part of a series. This is a one-off message that Matt asked me to do because he doesn't want to do it. So the, talk of our title, the uh, title of our talk this morning is American Idol is our awe in the wrong place. So, but this feels like a topic that's been covered a lot, right, in church? I mean, after all, not having idols is one of the, the big 10, right? You might have learned about those in Sunday school. I mean, if you've never heard of them before, Pastor Matt mentioned them uh, last week, actually, kind of in brief. But let's go ahead and take a look at Exodus 23 through 5. That's where this, uh, the don't have idols part of the Ten Commandments comes from. Pretty straightforward. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry, right? Like, you can just have the next 30 minutes and, you know, I'll pray and dismiss you. I'd sit down. No, you're not getting out that easy. I think the concept of idolatry is pretty simple, but it's worth taking a little bit of time to maybe understand how this can manifest in our lives. Specifically today, we're going to be talking about um, idolizing other people, whether they're political figures or musicians or just anybody in the public eye, because those people can start to creep into our lives. I mean, with social media, 24-7 news cycle, we're always on, right? We're always connected. There's always people in our face shouting at us, screaming at us. So these voices are loud and ever-present. So how do we stay focused? on what really matters, what's really important. And that's a good question to ponder. And during our time this morning, I think we're going to explore that and maybe come up with some practical ways to avoid that. But first, before I study anything, I like to define terms. So what is an idol anyways? So I looked it up on the internet, as one does, and from one particular dictionary, it says an idol is an image or a representation of a god used as an object of worship. So that fits pretty well with the Exodus text that we just read, because they were talking about actually making an idol, actually worshiping it. So back in the time that Exodus was written, back when the Israelites are being given the Ten Commandments, it was actually somewhat common to make an image of something like a golden calf and worship that instead of God. But I don't think that's something I typically see people doing, at least in the American culture, in 2022. So I went looking for a different definition, and I came up with another one from a different dictionary that said an idol is an object of extreme devotion. And I think that gets us a little closer to what we're going to be talking about today, but it doesn't really cover why this is a problematic thing. So I'm going to give you a definition that I came up with myself, and it's not real exciting or hard, so don't, you know, don't get too excited here. An idol is simply anything that takes place of God in our lives. Simple as that. So if there's something in our lives that's more important than God, then we have an idol. And just like any good noun, it could be a person, place, thing, 
or idea. The person's the one we're going to kind of hone in today. But things, ideas, places, all of those can take the place of God in our lives if we're not careful. So to get a better handle on this, we're going to look at our text, uh, main text today, which is found in Acts 17, if you want to turn there in your Bible. If you didn't happen to bring one with you, there are paper Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, you can also use a phone or a tablet. Uh, I'll promise that I've just assumed that you are actually reading the scriptures and not zoning out on me. Uh, you can also go to sermons.church and look for Cornerstone Vineyard Church, and that's going to bring up all the sermon notes and all the goodies that I'm going to be talking about today. So, Acts 17. It said, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So I'm just picturing this, and it's a really interesting picture to me. So Paul is wandering around Athens, and he comes across this meeting in the Areopagus, which is a stone outcropping, kind of a big flat area outside one of their main temples. And he's noticed they've got these temples and these idols to their 12 main gods that they serve. But in addition, the Greeks have like countless other sub-deities that they're not, they're sort of gods, they're demigods, and they're literally almost innumerable. And he finds this altar to an unknown God. And he's like, hey, I can use this to teach them about the God that I serve, the one true God. But then he does something pretty bold. He calls him out at the end. Take a look at that last verse again. It says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Man, ouch. He just stepped in these people's meeting and called them ignorant. But remember, just a few years before this, Jesus was actually here on the earth. He was God, made man, sent for us to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with the one true God. And he proved once and for all that he was the one true God. And this is fresh in Paul's mind. This just happened. Not 2,000 years removed like we are. And so he calls the Athenians to task and he lets them know look, this was in the past, God overlooked people making idols out of stone and, and silver and gold. But now, God's not going to tolerate being purposely ignored anymore. So you may not have statues around your house that you're kneeling to and praying to especially, you know, countless numbers of statues. But does that mean you're idol-free? Maybe, maybe not. 
We're going to take a look at our first point this morning, which is avoiding idols requires being honest. I like this Pinocchio guy here. Avoiding idols requires being honest. And what I mean here is genuine awareness of your priorities and how God fits into your life. Is he first and foremost in all areas of your life? Have you surrendered all to him and given him complete control of your time, your money, your possessions, your relationships? Is there anything or perhaps anyone that you place more value on than your relationship with him? I mean, think back to the title of our talk this morning, American Idol is our awe in the wrong place. And honestly, I think that's a really good question to start analyzing ourselves and our intention and our priorities. But honestly, it can be pretty easy to just answer that question flippantly, right? Yeah, of course, God's first in my life. I mean, I'm here at church and, you know, I prayed every day this week and uh, I did all the the Christian-y things. And yeah, of course, he's first. But I'm going to list here of 10 things that may point to Maybe you do have something else in your life that's occupying your time. We're just going to step through them real quick. But I want you to think. I want you to grab a pen or something along those lines. And if any of these ring true, maybe there's some analysis you need to do this week. By you, I mean the you that includes me. So let's take a look at this list. You find your worth and value in them, them being other people, because they give you status, popularity, or power. When you think of your life without them, You feel empty inside. When you're away from them, they are all you can think about, night and day, day and night. They have major, uh, sorry, I think I skipped one here. You often feel like they give your life purpose. Without them, there is no you. Sound familiar at all? They have major influence on the way you feel about yourself. They have total control of your self-esteem. Most of your time is consumed by them. If you could, you would spend 24-7 with them. As the saying goes, you eat, sleep, and breathe them. Your schedule, you schedule everything around them. You try and squeeze God in whenever you can instead of making him a priority to begin with. You neglect other important aspects of your life in order to focus on the one thing that really matters to you. You'd rather put your faith into someone or something other than God. Maybe you found yourself nodding throughout this list, indicating you've got a little work to do. That's a pretty intense list. I mean, it's honestly, it's a pretty convicting list. And as I read through this, I can pretty easily say, again, no, of course not. No, God's first in my life. None of these apply to me. Do my actions bear that out? Do I really put God first? Or when things come up that God wants me to do, other things keep creeping into my schedule and pushing those to the side, and I've got these other important priorities that need to be taken care of. Do I feel secure in my future because I know that God has everything in control and that he is the Lord of my life? Or do I feel secure in my future because my bank account balance is healthy and all my bills are paid and I've provided for myself? Am I procrastinating on important tasks because some other activity is creeping into my life and pushing away things that are important on a day-to-day basis? Am I following somebody on social media multiple times a day, checking my phone all the time to see what they have to say, to see what they have to think, and all the while my Bible is in the corner gathering a nice layer of dust on top of it? 
when I see events happening around the world, like the war in Ukraine or other big tumultuous events, am I convinced that God will take care of that because it's part of his plan? Or am I looking to somebody in a position of power to fix it for me? And that's where my faith is. I mean, those are all hard questions, assuming we're actually being honest with ourselves. I mean, this is a really fun message, right? I'm like 10 minutes in and you're all just, I can tell, man, people are just, they're melting in their seats right now. I think it's a really touchy subject for us. None of us like being under a spotlight, poked and prodded for our intentions. You know how hard this message was to actually like develop thinking about this stuff, trying to be honest with myself? None of us want to admit that maybe we're not as God-focused as we purport ourselves to be, that, you know, maybe there is something else that is pushing him to the side. And honestly, we live in this culture that says God doesn't really exist anyways, and that there is no absolute truth, and that we should provide for ourselves, and that we are the masters of our own destiny, and that nobody has the right to say that anything you're doing is wrong because all truth is relative, and you just got to find what makes you happy, and this life is short, so just grab onto whatever you can and hold on tight. That kind of influence is really hard to resist when it's in our faces all the time, when that is what's being portrayed in the media and in TV shows and on sporting events and literally any kind of thing that you see that's put out there by mass media, that's what you're getting. We are the masters of our own domain. So God may not be first in our lives. In fact, maybe he's not even second or third, and that's kind of a terrifying prospect. And something pretty predictable happens when God is not in the throne, when he is not in that position, there's a void. We're going to find another savior to worship. So I got to thinking about this, and why does God care so much about us, you know, him being first in our lives anyways? I mean, he doesn't need us. He created us. He created the entire universe. He's God. It's not like he needs us to do any of the things that he's got in his intention. Back to our main text in Acts 17, it said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. So God wants us to reach out for him and find him because he created us, because we are his offspring. And earlier, I gave you a text in Exodus, the Ten Commandments text there about idolatry, and I ended it with a dot, dot, dot. Here's the rest of that text. You shall not be able, uh, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, dot, dot, dot. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin, children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So back in Acts 17, according to Paul, we are the offspring of God. We are his creation. And here in Exodus, we see just how strongly God feels about us, his creation. He's not willing to play second fiddle to anyone. So is God just on an ego trip? He just wants us to worship him because he said so? Honestly, I think it's the opposite. I mean, of course, he wants us our, our attention. He wants our love. He wants our devotion, just like we do with our own kids. We want our kids to be present in our lives and pay attention to us as parents. I mean, it sounds kind of backwards, but we do. We want them to acknowledge us. But like any good parent, God has really high standards for us. He knows what we're capable of, and he's not willing 
to settle for anything less than that. For us to worship things that we've made with our own hands or perhaps another human being, I'm going to rub some people the wrong way here, but honestly, that's not just insulting to God. It is childish, foolish, and ignorant behavior. And I know that's a pretty pointy stick, but it is. There's several, there's multiple times in the scripture where it is called foolishness to not acknowledge that God is God. So later in that same chapter in Exodus, God repeats himself. So this is the same chapter. This is not part of the original Ten Commandments. The Lord says to Moses, tell the Israelites this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any God to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. And that first part is what stuck out to me. You have seen for yourself that I have spoken to you from heaven. And I just picture God being really exasperated. Like, come on, guys. I have spoken to you from heaven. You have seen it. I led you through the desert as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And I parted the Red Sea and I have been there for you every step. And I, I'm supposedly away. Moses is away for a couple days talking to me and you're making idols. That list we talked about earlier was 10 questions. I think we know at our core that putting our trust in something else besides God is foolish. I think we understand God's exasperation when we do that. But we still tend to do it if we don't analyze our motives and the things that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. If we're just drifting from day to day, grinding out the routine, and we stop paying attention to where our life's focus is. So if we take some time to evaluate who's actually on the throne of our lives, the answer might surprise us. I got a kind of a smattering of different people here from across political boundaries, entrepreneurs, and uh, even a YouTuber for anybody who watches YouTube all the time. So are any of them occupying more of our time and effort than God is? And substitute anybody else in there that, you know, strikes you as a media figure, somebody that you're really familiar with. And again, if we say no, do our actions match our words? What about this guy? But seriously, pastors have a lot of influence on the flock in their church. And I've been a part of churches where the pastor was idolized. And I've been a part of churches where the pastor was taken out by infidelity or heresy. People that were respected people that were looked up to. Matt brings you God's word, and Matt creates an environment where we can worship God together. But God is the object of our worship. So, I don't really know a nice way to type this point, but that is our first point. That avoiding idols requires being honest. And we do. We have to be honest with ourselves and not just gloss over and say that, no, nah, I got I got a handle on it. We're fine. God's first. Do our actions bear that out? We've got a second equally fun point this morning. And you can write this down that avoiding idols requires pattern recognition. Has anybody ever seen that movie? That's from a beautiful mind. I love that movie. Like the the way he just sees patterns and absolutely everything, even if they don't actually exist. It's amazing. So 
again, as humans, we tend to like to talk about new things and new ideas, right? You know, the old stuff's been covered before. And generally, as a, as a group, we tend to like new things and new ideas. And the Athenians were kind of the same way. In fact, they were really almost addicted to talking about new ideas and new things. That's why they had these daily meetings of philosophers in the Areopagus. So back at our main text in Acts 17, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul's there, and he interrupts this uh, meeting, this daily routine of the Greeks to kind of get together and talk about the latest, greatest ideas. And he's like, hey, I'm going to drop something new on you. And honestly, the Greeks would have eaten that up. They would have loved that, a new way of thinking that they could digest and dissect and you know, be very intellectual about. And honestly, as a society, we're kind of like our Greek ancestors in that way. I mean, authority figures regularly talk to us about how they have a new plan to fix all society's ills. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's going to be so great. We're going to save the environment along the way. And inventors and entrepreneurs do the same thing, right? We're going to move to electric cars and we're going to do this piece. And we're going to do that piece. And there's going to be a new computer coming out that's going to change all of our lives. And artificial intelligence is going to, you know, create more free time for us to just have leisure and do whatever we want. They're always promising maybe a better quality of life or some way that life will improve because there's this new great idea to latch on to. The reason they're doing this, they want you to look at them. Right? They're not toiling in the background in anonymity because they want to improve your life. They want to be in the public eye. They want recognition for what they're doing. I mean, that's not new behavior, right? Dates all the way back to the Athenians we just read about, and I guarantee you it dated back even further than that. As humans, in general, we want recognition. So flip over to Matthew 23 for me for just a minute. We're going to think about some of the most prominent public figures. Picture somebody in your head that you see in the media all the time. Probably a politician in this case fits a little better, but just in general, this, this works with pretty much anyone. It says, everything they, and in this case they is the Pharisees, do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And I'm going to pause there. A phylactery was a little box they would wear on their forehead that had the law of Moses written down in it. So if you had a bigger box, people know you knew Moses' law, right? So they love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues, and they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. They want recognition. Their religion is not pure religion. It's not for the sake of worshiping the Lord. It's for their attention. So even 2,000 years ago, people loved attention. What's Jesus' take on that? Right after that, same chapter. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. So we're not supposed to seek titles. We're to recognize that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we have one teacher, one father, one Messiah. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Matt talked about uh, James and John, that uh, their mother came to Jesus and was like, hey, 
mean, these boys are pretty good, right? Could you, I don't know, see them at the right hand of the father? I mean, <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm going to level with you. My mom is a big fan of me. If you've ever met Martha Southworth, she won't talk to you about Martha Southworth. She will talk to you about me. It's embarrassing, to be perfectly honest. So I get a mother's love. I cannot imagine any way that my mom would have gone up to Jesus and been like, hey, can you have a seat next to God? I don't know, maybe she would. That's, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't put a pastor if Jesus was right there. But seriously, that's a really bold thing. That gets her son's recognition. Guess who else gets recognition? She does, right? As humans, we really, really want attention for ourselves, doubly so if we're in positions of power. It becomes a vicious cycle. You know, we're in the limelight, so what do we have to do to stay in the limelight? Because other people want to push us out because they want that attention. And honestly, I get that not everybody's wired this way. Not everyone is an attention seeker. <laughs> I love this. When I was going through this message, um, you might know Matt's an extrovert. You might know that Leah's kind of not. So Leah's like, I'm, she was listening to this message and she's like, this doesn't apply to me. I don't want attention. But then she thought about it and she's like, yeah, but you know what? I like to post on social media and then I keep checking to see if everybody liked what I posted. We all want attention on some level. It's just who we are. So the Pharisees, they wanted to be recognized for how religious they were, right? So that people would look at them and respect them and listen to what they had to say and do what they wanted them to do. Instead of looking to God, people would look to them. And they loved that. Scoot forward to today. People want to be recognized for how anti-religious they are and for the answers they have about how they're going to fix everything without God's help. People will look at them and people will respect them and listen to what they have to say and do what they want them to do. Instead of looking to God, people look to them. And they love that. Pattern recognition. We're still fallen humans, and we still tend towards sin. Thousands of years later, our base motivations haven't changed anything. We still want attention for ourselves, and we keep trying to exert control over others. And why? Because it works. History says it works. There's always going to be people that will listen to you and follow you. Look at me. I'm standing up here now. You're listening to me. Hope you're not following me, because, man, there are way better examples. Like, I don't know, God, Jesus, follow him. Pattern recognition. So who have you been following that wants your attention? And have you been giving them more attention than God? Do you have a habit of doing that? If you're the type of person who can easily get caught up in other people's stuff and mess, and you just, you know, you naturally gravitate towards looking what other people are doing, do you recognize that pattern of being drawn away from God, focusing on someone else? Or maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you are the one who is the focus. You love getting attention. You love being in the limelight. You love being idolized by someone else. Congratulations, you've got your own idol being idolized. Regardless of what side of the fence you're on, what I'm driving at here is that we're all descendants of Adam. We're all ravaged by sin. We are broken and separated by, from God, and we are desperately in need of a Savior. But there's only one Savior. Jesus. There's only one God, and Paul reminds us constantly of these facts throughout Scripture, because we need to recognize the patterns of our earthly nature and submit them to who we are called to be in Christ. So we're going to look at Colossians 3. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever brings to you, brings to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So if we can recognize that we can be routinely pulled away from God's uh, purpose for our lives, that, that the thinking can be pulled away from what God has planned for us, and instead we're focused on what some other man or woman has planned for us, which again, that's idolatry. Maybe if we recognize that pattern, we won't be so easily caught up in it. God will remain on the throne. We'll remember that we're all just people and that no one else deserves our worship. No thing deserves our worship. We are all just brothers and sisters in Christ. We all share the same sin nature. We are all created by God. We are all equal in his eyes. So where does that leave us? How do we avoid idols? Well, honestly, the simple answer is it's just going to take some discipline. Maybe a little mental refactoring, a little bit of training. We're getting ready to close here. I'll have uh, Maddie's going to come up and play for us. But before we do, let's go ahead. One more scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says that we demolish arguments in this part right here. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So we think, what we're, we think about what we're thinking about on a daily basis. We get rid of any thoughts that intrude upon our relationship with God, that pull us away from the knowledge of God. We replace those with thoughts about God and about our relationship with God. We set up a pattern of repetitive thinking about God, replace the repetitive thinking about other people in our lives that are pushing him to the side. Is that going to be easy? Probably not at first. But our thoughts follow where we spend our time, right? We spend time with God, getting to know who he is and what he has for us our thoughts will naturally follow that pattern. You gotta put in the effort, you gotta put in the time, but we're gonna create those new patterns. That's our part of our leap year. We're gonna create those new patterns. We're gonna leap forward in our relationship with Christ by pushing aside the idols instead of God. And I know that's all easier said than done. And I know that this, may, this message honestly may not speak to everyone today, Maybe you're in a really, really good spot in your relationship with God. But you're going to have a valley at some point, and you're going to be tempted to look elsewhere. So, two simple points today. Avoiding idols requires being honest. It requires pattern recognition. Thanks for joining us this week. We pray that you are challenged and blessed by this message, and that you find application for it in your life as God leads you through this week. For more information about us, please visit our website at cornerstonevineyard.church.